Hi, everyone. It's Emily Brandwin, CIA spy girl, and this is Unredacted. And I'm here joined by my Unredacted co-hosts, Philippe Rhinus and Molly Jungfast. And recently, we took the show on the road and we went to the West Coast. We went to LA, my home, and we had a really special opportunity to sit down with one of our favorite resistors, Andy Richter. So many of us know Andy from Twitter, obviously, but as Conan O'Brien's sidekick, He's also an amazing actor, which we all know, and an incredible voice actor, too. What was great for us is we got to see a really different side of Andy. It was a really great interview. We're excited to share it with you. Hope you enjoy. Do I still have to redact it, even though you guys are on record? It's called TSFCI. I think I'm a little nicer in real life than I am It's not hard. Like so, yeah. so we're super excited. We're here with actor, voice actor, seven-time Emmy-nominated writer, producer, and late-night talk show personality, Andy Richter. Hey, Andy. Hi. Thank you for joining us. When you say personality, it's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. You're going to live up to it, Okay, though, right? all right. Well, yeah, sure, of course. I mean, we could stop right now. No, no, ahead. no. I'm, I am all personality all the time. Um, and I'm joined, of course, by my two co-hosts, Philippe Rhinus and Hi, Molly Andy. Jungfast. Hi, Andy. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We're also civilized right now. This is lovely. Yes. Well, Andy... I am so thrilled. We're so thrilled you're here. And I think most folks know of you from Conan and all your Conan days. I actually, I think a lot of us also have been delighted by your Twitter feed. It's Oh, thank you. You tweet gold. Thank you. <laughs> it, literally, I'm always like, oh, it's another nugget. It's another oh, little gem. Oh, thank you so much. That's nice. Um, yeah, no, uh, Twitter is really fun. I really, everybody complains about it, but it's really brought a lot of, being a 52-year-old dad, you know, I don't go out and do, a, like, I don't, I mean, I hang out with funny people at work, yeah. but I don't get outside of those people who I'm so fucking bored with. <laughs> um, outside of them, I don't, you know, it's like the adult interaction can be hard to, you know, access. And here I'm, you know, I'm joking around with funny people all the time. It's great. You know, it's funny. I said like 10 years ago, if you would tell people you're like, oh, I'm having lunch with someone I met on social media, it would be the Craigslist killer. Yeah. And yeah, we'd yeah. all be dead and in a car in different pieces. But no, I there's like, no, there's it's it's really the stupid thing has really enriched my life. You know, do you think it's made you funnier? Because I, I think Twitter has made me funnier. Um, it, it it's it's a gr well, yes, it's made me a uh tighter joke writer i don't know if i tried to sit down and write it a, a novella if, <laughs> if twitter would have helped that much but i definitely think yeah it's it it's it, it's almost like a sudoku at some point where you're trying to get the most ideas out of the fewest words and that's just a fun that's just a fun thing and also and it's like as a you know as a joke writer out there will a concept of something like will come to my mind and, you know, and then you have to think, like, how do I word that? Like, what's the best way to, it's, you know, you're making like a neat little sort of wooden box, you know, and making all the dovetails fit right. Do you ever, like, draft a tweet and then go back and reword it before you send it out or get really bummed if you do a tweet and then 10 minutes later, you're like, ah, oh, I could have made it funnier. 
Because that bums I don't, me out. I don't get that bummed about it because it's, <sighs> you know, eh. I'll always, you know, I just am like, you know, they're just tweets. They're, 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 and I mean, and you can't tell. There's things I tweet that I, like jokes that I tweet that I'm like, man, is that funny? And nobody <laughs> gives a shit. And then there's just something that I think is just a casual observation that everybody, you know, loves. So I don't, I don't. I don't know. I, the only time what I do th- when I draft things a lot is when somebody I do that uh, not all the time, but somebody will tweet about a particular topic or something and it will make me think of a joke that's like on the same topic and I'll write it and then I'll save it like for, you know, a, a day later. So it's not right on the heat. So it's not so obvious that I just was like, oh, that I'm just ripping off your concept and writing a different joke. When did you, I'm an improviser too, and mm-hmm. so that's very familiar with the background. When did you discover comedy? Was there a moment or a movie when you were younger that you said, I, I want to do that? Well, or, um. Or like lit that fire? Well, I just, I, I was a funny kid and having people laugh at me was a nice feeling. You know, it was a, it was a, it was, it was, it's a pretty, you know, and and when you can do it, when you can do it in a in a repeatable way and in a way that like where you realize, hey, I can really do this, um, it's 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 fantastic. It's great and uh, great attention. But I remember, you know, I also remember like after my folks divorced and we were living with my grandma, it was time for bed, and you, you know, like imitating because um, I think we'd been watching the Carol Burnett show, which was one of my favorite shows as a kid. Best. And um, I was that that character that uh, um, Tim Conway did that walked really slow, and I just I was doing that bit, and my grandma was laughing so loud that like I got to stay up another forty five <laughs> minutes. You know, she I, like I cracked her up, and she forgot that I was supposed to go to bed. <laughs> so I, you know, I, I that and I always remembered like that's and in you know and in school being funny is, it's a, it's a really good thing to be funny and my, but my i'm from funny people my dad's really funny um i have an aunt that was really funny i mean my mom's my mom's funny but but my dad i'm like my dad's a real has a brilliant wit you know he's a very very funny man i think it's like armor when you're younger especially if you can be funny i've i was aggressively awkward and i always found that humor for me was the way to sort of fend myself. Yeah. And if I could laugh at myself first, yeah. it meant that nobody else could mock me because I'm right, like, right. I got to your joke first, so you can't make that joke anymore. <laughs> I know I have a patch over my eyes, so you can go easy on the pirate joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, But for you, you made the jump. And then in Chicago, obviously, it's the improv capital of the world, essentially. Right. Did you know you wanted to do improv or did you take a class and you thought, okay, this is it? Because it's a very specific form of comedy. It is. Um, no, I... I it just evolved. It evolved in a very haphazard, sort of organic way. Of, I mean, I always I liked to act, but there was you know, and I grew up in a small town, and there were the school plays, but they were really dumb, and I just kind of I did them for a, a bit, and but I did speech team, you know, okay. yeah, uh, prose, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I read prose uh, four years, and so I knew I could act. Um, and then I went to university of Illinois and I was, I started out on like basically just liberal arts and sciences, but I was going to get into their journalism program. 
And then my sophomore year, I decided, I don't want to be a journalist. <laughs> and I transferred to Columbia College to film school. And when you go to film school, you end up acting in things because you just rotate where you do the camera, this one, and then I'll do the camera next one. And then you have to act in this one, you know, these little it's short a real films. ensemble. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean, but you just, you don't have any personnel. So you need to do, everything. you need everybody in the class to do everything. And so I was in a lot of student films because every time a student film would, would show, there'd be three people afterwards because I obviously was not terrible. <laughs> uh, there'd be, you know, two or three people like, will you do my student film? So I did a lot of student films and that was Kind of the I did take one acting class when I was at Uni University of Illinois, and it was it just seemed like such ridiculous horseshit that I just was like, I don't. This is not going to be. Did you have to me. do like trust falls? I don't even remember, but shit. it was yeah, it was just a lot of exercises that didn't seem to me. And I, you know, uh, I could be wrong, but they didn't seem to me to be focused on how do you make people believe you're someone you're not yeah. you know like how do you how do you basically tell a lie on stage and have it believed and i just it just it seemed silly so uh, film school was kind of i started learning acting just instinctively on there and i actually at one point and i thought about second city and i knew that there was this comedy scene there you. yeah and i even once i called I looked up in the white pages, Second City, <laughs> and called them to just ask about classes. And it was, it seemed like, oh, you, you know, you had to do five levels before you ever got a chance to be on stage in front of an audience. And I was like, and it was expensive. And I was like, oh. It's and, kind of a racket after a while. Absolutely. Because well, you could fail a class and then they'll have you retake a class. Yeah. And if you're young and poor and taking classes, it's really tough for young comics. But, but you know, I mean... I don't know what to do about that situation because, you know, people, I, nobody's getting rich off of improv. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, no, but it's not there. You know, like, yeah, there's a certain level of exploitation, but somebody's got to, you know, somebody's got to put their name on a lease. Yeah. Whereas you just show up and, you know. And play. Yeah, and play. And you expect to, to you know, that you expect to be treated like, you know, you expect to get stage time and more stage time. And it's like, no, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's brutal because it's, it's brutal. It's super brutal. Yeah. And so you got it, you like, you either sink or swim and, and, and I mean, you know, there's all kinds of different reasons to do it, but, um, but I just did it. I did it because I, I, I have terrible attention deficit problems with when it sits, when it comes to sitting down and writing. Yeah. Um, and a blank page I don't know what to do with. Um, and but whereas on assignment I can, you know, yeah, pound it out. Yeah, and and with a group of people like the way that most TV writing, most TV comedy writing is done is with a group of people. Then yeah, I can you know help out all day. But when it's just me by myself, I don't like doing things by myself. I'm trying to get better at that. I tried stand up. I just re and I came to the conclusion I don't want to be up here by it's myself. It's a different. It's a totally different. Piece. I just don't. I don't care about being up here by myself. It feels lonely and like a waste of. Like I'd rather be doing something else than being up here by myself. Um, but so I was, I couldn't really get anything written, you know, because I didn't know about because there was no Ritalin. There they weren't prescribing <laughs> it to adults back then, and then. Um, 
And then I also wanted to act. And this seemed like, you know, when I heard about it, yeah, it seemed like, okay. And the immediacy of it appealed to me. And because I just, I knew like I could probably do that because I was already, you know, I mean, I I was already kind of quick, you know, and, um, and so a a friend of mine, uh, was taking classes at improv Olympic, told me about it. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And they weren't very expensive. And then it just, and I was a little different because it's more long form improv versus yes. short form. And I think people are super familiar with whose line is it anyway. And it's, yes. And it's more to me, it's more narrative. It's more about character because you're yes. building these longer stories. You're writing sketches. You're writing sketches as opposed to but in the doing little bits, you know, and then you're also trying to there were time jumps so that if you started a scene that took place in a bakery and two people came in to get a wedding cake. You, the next scene you you're at the wedding or you know you know you advance you have to advance it in time and and in complexity and you know i always tell people they was i worked at the cia after i did improv comedy mm-hmm. not the natural trajectory but everyone said you know what was the best preparation for you at the cia and i said i improv by far and i think yeah. and it's what i still tell people do you mean the, the culinary day. institute or the central the, intelligence the central intelligence oh, okay agents, i was gonna yeah. say like, uh, either one either could, one work, could work. Sort of work yeah yeah improv for cooking cooking and you have yeah, to yeah. You know, cook on the fly throw uh-huh. in some spices or <laughs> or go off to a war zone but yeah, i yeah. i still tell people now because i get a lot of you know messages like oh yeah. what should i do should i study a foreign language i'm like yes Yes, and because like, yeah. I yes and them. Right, right. Well done. Uh-huh. And I don't take improv, and it by far, when you're on stage, I think when you're doing improv, first if you're doing it with a group, and it's like it's like great jazz when it's done well, mm-hmm. but it's also the scariest thing you could do. So I I think sometimes getting up there because you have nothing, you yeah. just have each other. You have to, yeah. I mean, you get used to it, and you you know the, uh, it's great training for that. It's great training to to minimize the intimidation that you feel in performing situations. And, uh, and I, you know, and it did kind of prepare me in a way to be on television in that I was on, I did hours and hours and hours of shows that were like mostly good, but some were kind of not so good. So you just kind of, you know, but you don't freak out about it. And that was, uh, and I went into the late night show kind of with that feeling and, and and also just instinctively knowing I should keep that. I shouldn't like, I, I shouldn't, the stakes shouldn't grow so much because of the, the context, the bigger context. I should still kind of do the same thing that I've always been doing or that, you know, yeah. that I know works. Um, because if you, if you start thinking about the, especially at that point in 1993, if I was like, I'm on television, it would have, you know, I mean, it, it, already uh, whenever I see, I've seen some of those early shows and they are, uh, make me cringe because <laughs> it, I mean, it feels like in looking at, and I don't look at them much, um, although they are all available online now, our entire like 25 year comedy archive is the only reason you, there's some things missing because of uh, music clearance <laughs> like you know <laughs> like it's just big... too expensive to clear a led zeppelin song or something like that i went to taping of it when oh, i was you younger did? in new york and i i want to find it because you had kelsey Grammer on and he mentioned st louis uh-huh and literally i was whenever you mention a city everyone goes crazy and i was like oh there'll be throngs of people gonna cheer and literally it's just me going Woo-hoo! 
and nobody else. It's yeah, all yeah. quiet. My girlfriend just turned to me. She's like, you need to shut the <laughs> hell up. I was like, you you could have joined me. She's like, no, I, I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. So I just want to find it to see if you uh-huh. can hear my audible yell. Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it might be online. Well, you know, look at the, well, I don't know if the interviews, I don't know if the all the interviews are there. I do know the comedy bits are there. I, I haven't, you know, it's like I, I, I don't want to go back and look at you it. Don't go through that wormhole. Yeah, hole. yeah. But it took, uh, you know, I think it took months and months for us just to learn how to be on TV and not. It's figuring out a rhythm and your yeah, chemistry yeah. and you kind of, it's listening to everyone's sort of rhythms it's, and getting used to all that. And and not looking unnatural, you know, it, it takes a while. I think yeah. it's, you know, I, I think you see it with any any type of performance, even even podcasts, you, you figure out sort of the rhythm where where people shine where they don't mm-hmm. and you learn i think mostly trust yeah and yeah because i think you get used to as a performer sort of trusting your instincts but then in improv which is nice you learn to trust everybody else who's on stage yeah and you have to absolutely absolutely do you, you miss it um uh, not really not really because uh i didn't i haven't done it for a while there's a part of it that's just like for me why and there you know the whole thing about scare yourself once a day or whatever eh, i'm not eh. that into that thing and it's it. and with going and doing an hour and a half of improv when you don't do it on a consistent basis is a risky thing <laughs> and you know and it's and it's and it's not just that you won't be you know you i'm not worried about like so much that oh i won't be funny it's just that I'm going to just, it's, it'll just be anxious. I'll just have anxiety and nervousness. And it's just like, why leave the house to go get nervous is is a big part of like <laughs> why I don't do improv very much anymore. And I actually just, there was a fundraiser at UCB that had the original guys, I, with the exception, I don't think Matt Walsh was there, but Amy Poehler was there, Matt Besser was there, and uh, Ian Roberts. And UCB's Upright Citizens Upright Brigade. Citizens Brigade, which is, uh, I think, the leading improv theater school in the country there on both coasts there in LA and New York. But there was a fundraiser that uh, Matt Bessard asked me to do. And it was, it was again, a long form improv with the inspiration, you know, like they, their, their standard thing that they do is to have a guest monologist come and tell sort of first person stories and anecdotes. And then they improvise scenes based off of that. In this one, they were in place of the monologues. They wanted people to sing songs <laughs> that were, you know had some meaning for them or something, and um, and I thought I was just going to be singing a song in the way that when you're do a monologue, you just do a monologue. But like literally ten seconds before we go out, I turned to I think it was Horatio Sands and was like, "Are we all doing like all the scene work too?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, we're all doing scene work." And I was like, "Oh!" And so I had. You know, I had two seconds to get used to the, which was good because I didn't, I wasn't able to think about it, but I had two seconds to get used to the notion that I was about to do 90 minutes to two hours of improv. <laughs> and, and it was fine. It went well. I had fun, but I had, but it's not like it made me go. I, and I noted this at the end of it, like, and I was, you know, and I was kind of, you know, because like I say, I, I don't do it very often. And to do it, do a pretty good job, to feel pretty good about what I did. But I did not feel like I've, I need more of that next weekend. <laughs> I'm like, no, nah, that was good. I'm all right. You're good. Yeah. I, I also think like at a certain point for me as an adult, because people have asked, like, do you want to do improv again? I'm like, 
I, I think I'm good. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I miss it, but I'm I'm good. Also, it's a young person's thing too. Like when you see two men in their late forties trying to figure out where they are uh, on stage, it's, mm-hmm. there's something kind of sad about it. Yeah. Were you getting invited to everybody's improv group, everybody's improv shows forever when you were doing improv? Yeah. Um, that's the thing that ruined me. Yeah. 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 Sometimes, definitely. Um, and to sit in with a lot of people and to do shows and. And I ended up having to like, because I ended up doing shows where, I, where there was a bit of a bait and switch about like a friend of mine was going to be doing it. And then it turned out they weren't really going to be doing it. And it was just, a, you know, and it was like a friend of a friend wanting. And I'd go do these shows where I wouldn't know a soul. And everybody felt like, you know, it felt like everybody was 12 years old compared to me. <laughs> Uh, so I had to like make a rule of like, I got to know the person in order to be in the show. I can't like do like, I'm a friend of your friends and would you be in my show? It's like, no, no. there's it's... too much. There's too much on Netflix. To <laughs> there's so much good that. TV. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to do that. Yeah. What, do you have any horror? Like, I feel like every improv person, and I'll ask you and you're like, I don't have a story, but do you have any good horror stories or any good heckle stories? Because when you would ask people, I always feel like the drunker the crowd, the better or the worse the heckle. Yeah, no, they just, I, I can't, I mean, I can't think of anything. You know, there there was so many of them. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible to ask for those, like, do you remember one specific thing? Because I always blank. Um, and, and horror stories, there was never, in, you know, never horror stories. Other than sometimes, like we had a rule, like there had to be more people in the audience than on stage. Yes. <laughs> or else we weren't going to do a show. That was our rule too. Yeah, yeah. And and there were a couple times where we couldn't, do, you know, especially in Chicago if it's snowy. But that was a thing too. And that's always been, I don't really, there are people that are in this thing because they need something from an audience. There is a transactional, profound you know, hunger that is, that is, that being on stage is for them. And I never was like that. And I don't, I just, I didn't, I, audiences are fine. I like them just fine, but I don't need them. And as I get older, I need them less and less. And I, uh, I, 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 when we do shows that, you know, there'd be plenty of time, you know, we'd be in a basement of an Italian restaurant or something and it's Chicago and, you know, the boiler goes out. That's a standard thing. There's no heat in the building, so you can't do a show. We all show up and find that out. We end up going out and doing a show for each other at a bar somewhere. And that honestly is was more, more fun. Yeah, more rewarding and more fun and more what I cared about than to do a show in front of an audience. Well, also, so. it's, I always feel like it's good stories. Like I, it, I performed at the St. Louis Zoo in front of the monkey house twice. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know what? At least I can say I performed at the St. Louis Zoo in front of the monkey house. Yeah. Two times. Right, right. They called us back. That's we nice. Were, we killed at the monkey house. Yeah. And so I thought it was pretty much one of the shittiest shows to mm-hmm. ever have to do. But right. I'm, I I'm like, I performed in the monkey house. Yeah. That was pretty good. Also, it's, I was thinking it's, as a woman performing, it's, it's a little different. I was the only woman in our improv group. And we would always, if we'd ask for an occupation, it was always like, hey, we need a funny occupation. And we'd always get some guy in the back who would just yell penis. We're like, not an, not an occupation, sir. Yeah. Not. We, um, 
we used to do shows. We used to do shows for jingles, you know, Jewish singles. Um, I I know this well. Yeah, yeah. And um, they were, because we, and we did different shows for groups, but they were the filthiest people ever. You could not get them to say anything, but like, like, you know, like women screaming blowjob, you know, like just, and, and then you'd be like, no, come on, just something else, you know, like rim job. Like, no, no you get something else, you know. It's going to different. Yeah. You're yeah. in a room full of Jews. We all, yes. we're all nodding. Very in horny, horny Jews. We're, apparently. we're filthy, filthy, yeah, yeah. filthy people. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you one topical thing too. It's uh-huh. um, just, it, it's big in LA right now. Everything's going on with the writers and the right and the agents and that. Yes. I wanted you to kind of break it down if you wouldn't mind. Oh, I don't. You're Can asking you the wrong, wrong guy. guy. You're asking the wrong guy. I mean, I know it has something to do with these packaging fees. It has been explained to me twice to a w- to, in a way that like I go, oh, okay, I get it. And a half hour later, I'm like, I don't remember Damn it. what it I all didn't, means. I, I had people explain it to me and I thought, Andy can explain it no, to me. No, it's just, it's, you know. It's how they divvy up money. It's just, it's, it's, I don't, I honestly don't know. And I, and it's the kind of thing that goes, that it, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible, like sort of business person, money person. And it all sounds like math to me. It's all, I just am like, oh, I don't know. It's about saving the studio's money or the it, the commissions from writer I don't know. I feel like it doesn't save anyone money. It just makes somebody more money. Well, I yeah, I think that's I, there are people that are making way too much money yeah. and there and there is and it was explained to me by a friend where like there is like a lot of money that's just going straight to the agency and there's nothing real you know there's nothing it's just basically a skim, you know, of some kind. But I don't know exactly. Okay. So sorry. And we're just, done here. I just, I just, you know, I wait until they tell me how to vote, and then that's what I do. Well, I want to have Molly jump in because I know that she had some okay. questions too. I wanted to ask you about. I actually, the Writers Guild is about people firing their agents. Yes. And not using their agents because right. of the packaging fees. Yes. So did you fire your agent? I did. So that's kind of a big deal, right? Yeah, but I mean, I you know, I mean, I, everybody fired their agents, right? Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, you know, like I've heard all different sort of, ver- <clears throat> you know, the obvious thing is probably something's going to get settled and we're all going to rehire our agents. Right. Like that's that seems like the most likely thing, but then again, it, it all might fall apart and agencies might not rep writers anymore. And it, then there will just be managers that I think would step in to fill in the void. Um, even so, though there's supposedly some sort of. So basically what happened, the history of this a little bit just to, is that um, there, there was a, a really wonderful writer, David Simon, uh-huh. who you're friends with. I know, probably. Yeah. 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 And I, I'm, I know him and we've He's interacted online. Yeah. Really smart and cool. Yeah. And he did the wire yeah. among other things. And he fa- figured out that these agencies were really screwing people over by charging tw- double dipping. And they were charging you to represent you, but they were also charging you these insane licensing fees for television. Uh-huh. And that, and and they and they went back and forth and they said, well, we'll give you 10%, some like really lame thing. And uh, and writers were like, no, 
we're going to make money on our work, which yeah, is yeah, the yeah. first time that's ever happened. Right. And um, so everybody fired their agents. Yeah. But because the structure is such that you have a manager, it doesn't really, it ends up not really screwing over the writers, mm -hmm. which is weird because usually the system is set up in a way to screw over the writers. Yeah, yeah. Although there are, I mean, I do know like uh, Lori Kilmartin, who works on our show, is a stand up and I can't remember what agent she's, it might be Gersh. But Gersh was threatening, you know, if you fire your if you fire your your writing agent with us, you you, you can't work with any of your other agents. So it was like that was hurting stand ups that you know had people yeah. in their agencies booking them and stuff. And I, and I don't know whatever happened to that, but I do know that there were agencies that were threatening that that were saying if you fire your writing agent, you're gonna you can't use your acting agent or your voiceover agent or you know or your book agent you do you know. do a lot of voiceover still um a fair amount i do uh cartoons um I, i'm on uh, i have a recurring thing on big hero six right now oh yeah that's really good. um and then i you know i i Audition for commercials on my phone a lot, but I, I, haven't, I haven't got anything in a while. I used it I for a while. I in New York, I had a really good run, and I was I was the voice of KFC for a minute or two. <laughs> Can you explain what a phone audition is? Because I've never heard of that. Oh, it just you. Uh, just call uh, There's an at no. There's an at you. You record it on your phone. I mean, the technology now is such that there's a. I have a. a uh, a microphone that I plug into the bottom of my, it's a, it's a sure makes it. And it sounds great. It sounds as good as what, when I would go to my agents and they would have their little, you know, eight pot mixer board <laughs> and put me on cassette, you know, or, or even it's, you know, it sounds pretty damn good. So it's like, why that, that, that business, there was a, there was a, you know, and whole stripe of that business that was voice casting, it doesn't exist anymore. So weird. It doesn't exist anymore because there's no reason for an agent to call somebody and say, or, or, or for, I should say, an ad agency to go to them and say, we need voices for this, and then they reach out to agents. They, you know, they did, the, the ad agency just goes right to the, right to the agents now. They don't need to go to this casting person in the middle. And then you go in and either you record at your agent's office because they can set up a little studio or you do it on your phone, you know, or on your computer. I used to do it on my computer. But as, like I say, the technology is, is such now that it's like you get really decent quality. I mean, I've done ADR you know, automatic dialogue replacement where you dub your lines in. I've done that on my phone for low-budget things and for television things. Seriously? Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. And they, it's, I'm sure that it's some union violation, but it was like... <laughs> we won't tell yeah, anyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, can you talk a little bit about, like, how the crazy political world has affected your... You know, you live in California. Yeah. But can you talk about, like, have you become more involved? Have you... I actually, because of some stuff that's going on in my personal life, which, which it's out in the open, but my, my wife and I are getting a divorce. Uh, and so at about, at a certain point, early January, I checked out. 
I checked out. I just realized, like, <laughs> I was like, I got too much going on in my life to be watching Rachel Maddow every night <laughs> and having my cortisol levels raised, you know, and then going, you know, like watching four hours of M MSNBC. And I, and I used to, you know, it used to be on in my dressing room all the time. And then I switched to TCM. What's TCM? Uh, oh, Turner, Turner Classics. Classic. Uh, and I just watched Turner Classics for a while. And now I just, now even that is like, I just <laughs> listen to music in my dressing room. And, but I just can't, there's me, I will become active politically again. Right. But right now I just don't have, and I've had people ask me like, you know, friends on Twitter be like, come and speak at the, you know, the tax rally in DC. And right. I'm just like, I just don't have the energy or the drive to do it. Cause, and especially when it, you know, the, 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 aside from impeachment, which, oh, I don't know anything, you know, I'm not right. going to be online crowing about my, with my brilliant opinions about impeachment. I don't, you know, um, but the other, you know, the thing is the election, it's so fucking early. Right. It's, and, and, and I right. really do feel like, if I didn't pay attention at all and I just checked back in two days before the first primary, I'd be up to speed. Like what, you know, <laughs> everything that would ha that's going to happen between then and now, I mean, I'll hear, and I, I follow right. what's going on in the news, but I just don't, I don't tweet about it as much. I don't like, and I just don't, because I just feel like there's only so much, plate space for yeah. me to keep things on um and it's actually kind of been really nice it's been really really good and i've even i've gone through my twitter feed and muted a lot of really fantastic <laughs> political writers and i'm stuff. muted aren't i uh, no no you aren't you aren't <laughs> at all um but no just, like political writers and yeah. and because i just there was i would scroll through and i'd just be like Where's the joke? <laughs> and just be misery, 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 misery. Oh, a joke, yay. So I've, I've tried to make my feed a little more joke-heavy these days. And I even tweeted, I even tweeted, and I, it wasn't even really a joke. A while ago, I said, uh, uh, you know, thinking about uh, sticking to telling jokes, which is what people always tell you you know, stick to jokes. And I was like, I'm thinking of sticking to jokes, which I kind of have been. <laughs> I mean, I'll say, you know, a couple of things, but like, I'm not, like, I'm not spending a huge chunk of a string of days debating gun control <laughs> like I used to do. And like I did a few times and then, and felt like it was, felt like it was useful in some way. And then ultimately also felt like, oh no, it was just... Right. You know, I mean, it was, it, uh, if I don't take it away as like some sort of enjoyable intellectual exercise and sort of, you know, uh, like speech team, like debate, like, okay, <laughs> you know, like it is, it's like a little, you know, especially if you go in a back and forth about something, especially like guns, you know, which there's so many debunkable things. Right. That if you... You know, you write a thread that explains why what about Chicago is horseshit. Right. Um, it's it's a you know it's it's a it's a good intellectual exercise, and it is like being on the debate team. And you can, if you take it at that, and that's it, then it's okay. You know, you can live with it. But if you think I'm really going to make a difference with this thread, 
you're going to make yourself nuts, you know? So that's what I ended up. I ended up just kind of taking it away. Like, well, I guess I had fun explaining myself, you know? It's always a nice thing to do. So I feel like we should catch you up since. <laughs> so in the All last right. four months since January. <laughs> yes. Uh, on Twitter, there was a very constructive argument about impeachment we all came to consensus yes and we went ahead and impeached him yes yes I mean. um he left office peacefully uh pence we we approached him we talked to him uh nancy pelosi convinced him to retire uh-huh she is now president of the united wow. states uh she also Neato. single-handedly upended the constitution they got rid of the amendment that says you can only serve twice so barack obama is her vice president um and we now have uh Donald Trump and his children in cages. Oh, wow. So <laughs> now you're caught up. All right. Everything Sounds has worked fun. itself out. Sounds really great. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. How, you know. Can you talk about having ADHD for a minute? Because I think I might have it myself. Yeah. People, yeah. Have, people have mentioned that I might have that too. Yeah. Did you, were you like really diagnosed with ADHD or do you just sort of suspect? No, because they didn't really do that right. sort of thing back then. And, and, but I did, I couldn't do homework. I could not yeah. do homework. And I mean, and I was not, I was, I'm not a dumb person. I wasn't a dumb kid. I was capable. Um, I knew the stuff, but like to just give me a packet of, of worksheets oh. and then sit me down and say like, do these, it was, I, I would marvel at my inability to do them and, and at my powerlessness against them. And my mother set up a desk in the basement facing a cement wall, oh. like a desk with nothing in it. It's like prison. Yeah. Well, just like absolute sensory deprivation to just focus on the homework. And I still would, I'd stare at the wall before I do the homework <laughs> and I'd sit there and I'd sit there and I'd be, and I would negotiate with myself and be like, you know, you can do this. You know that it would take you 20 minutes if you just do, you know, just sat down and did it. And all right, okay, I'll do it. And then I'd pick up a pencil and go and start and get like two questions in and then just be like, <laughs> oh my God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And, um, and I was that way for a long time. And I, my son has that issue you know and i i don't mean to be a dick to him about it but i i, I told him i said i've gone through this my whole life you know i've dealt with this my whole life into my work life and you know it's different than homework you know when you work you got to do your things but i said i still you know i would procrastinate procrastinate or have difficulty focusing and getting starting on one thing and doing it and uh but i i told him like the bad news is there's no trick. Right. You just end up having to do it. I, you know, like oh, you you have a hard time focusing. Yeah, well, you, yeah. the the thing needs you know the thing needs to get done. Um, and he, you know, he gets mad. He feels like it's not being supportive. And I'm like, I'm I'm not trying to be unsupportive, but I am trying to tell you like this is the bottom line you will reach whether you reach it in a year from now or whether you reach it 10 years from now, it's procrastinating. I mean, and you know, I mean, there are people that have real clinical issues uh, and, it, and, and, you know, I, I, mine isn't that, I don't think it's that strong. I, I, I function, but I really do. I, I throughout my life have had a really hard time 
and I think it was one of the issues why was the blank page issues, like right. not being able to write things on my own is just because I couldn't focus enough. I couldn't settle on one thing and it just, you know. I think, I think, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Do your kids, do they have the bug? Like the acting, performing bug? Um, no, not really. My my son, my son is actually he's going to Parsons uh, oh. uh, at the new school, College of Design, um, in the fall, and he's a he's an artist. He's a painter, but he's probably going to get more into design just because he doesn't. He got accepted to to some fine arts places, but. He just, he didn't want to, if you are in fine arts, you got to sit and paint right. for 12 hours a day. And then you're not exposed to anything but other artists. And he wants a little bit more expansive education. And, uh, and he's like, I'd, I want to do design. And, you know, cause he's like, I can always paint, I, you know. Uh, so what's next for you? For me, I don't know. I mean, you know, like my personal life is, I feel like it got torn down to the studs. And yeah. I, so there's kind of a rebuilding, certainly in that area. Uh, and every day is, you know, every day it, it, it is, a, is a new thing, is a new feeling, is a new complication. Um, so there's that, that is, you know, that occupies yeah. a lot of like, just what is my life going to be now? Um, and, you know, in arranging time with my kids, you know, now it's, you know, it just, it gets, it becomes that thing of scheduling time with your kids, yeah, I'm, which is still, I'm not used to it. It's very weird. So, I mean, I would add as a person who has teenage children and, I think it's just teenage children hate their parents. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I know, but I mean, but it's, but it is, it's just, it's weird yeah. to now have my kids on a schedule. Yeah. You but can, in, I, in, in months, it won't be weird, you know. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that you hold the record for Celebrity Jeopardy. I don't. For the big, for the highest winner. I don't according know. According to I, Wikipedia. Do I still? Well, they, <laughs> yeah, because they, um. There was an old one because I I've been on twice and I did well twice, and uh, in the on the old one I was it, I was improperly often referred to as the highest money winning when in fact there were two above me, uh, which were the the most was Charles O'Shaughnessy who was the dad on the nanny. Yes, <laughs> of course. And, he was also and, on Days of Our Lives. That's for Philippe. Okay, he's also fancy. And, he's and uh, very fancy. Yes. Yeah. And then Jerry Orbach was <gasps> oh number two. Oh wow! But there was only <laughs> between between the three of us, there was like thirty dollars, you know, like <laughs> difference, you know, like you know, Charles O'Shaughnessy won like thirty dollars more than me or okay. something like that. So it was all very close. But then I did do. I mean, well, the, they make it's more money now. But like I, I'm the last time I was on, which is about eight or nine years ago now. Um, you know, I've but, always thought there should be a family feud rather than two families go at it. It should be one family divided into uh, camps. Yeah. Like the mother and the kid and two kids against right, father. Right. It just seems like it'd be more exciting. I, my family actually, uh, we auditioned. It's the only audition I think I've ever done uh -huh. for family feud. Oh, and really? 
it was in a really dingy like basement in New York. Yeah. And it wasn't what's his face. It wasn't let's play the feud guy. Richard Dyson. Right. Richard Dawson. Richard Dawson. Yeah, Dawson. Yeah. It wasn't him. And it was really disjointed. It was my cousin, his wife, me. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't even a coherent group. <laughs> and we had no energy. And we were, you know, we're in front of like uh, makeshift podiums that were like carton part. The family against us. Yeah. I, I can't even describe. So they'd ask a question. How old and were you, Philippe? T- uh, teenager, high year. school. High school. <laughs> you know, they'd be, they'd be a question and, um, you know, I'd answer and be like, I think it's the other family. They'd be like, it's, I mean, the energy, the excitement, they were, they were like a nuclear explosion yeah, of energy. Yeah. Like he just knew there was absolutely no way. Yeah. <laughs> like it was embarrassing. Yeah. No one saw it. They didn't tape it. You know, we, the other family was thrilled. They were playing They probably went you. on to win like 10 in a row because <laughs> they were, they were fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere there's that tape. I don't it. remember there being, it being videotaped, but the, I don't think they angsted a lot about the, whether or not to invite us on. The way that they, the way that they produce, uh, you know, you're, they overamp you, they, you know, like as contestants, like just, ha- this was in a dingy and, basement. Yeah. Yeah. No, with and some still, producer. Yeah. well, but see that they, you know, if they, if they, if you had done better then they would pump you to be even bigger. And uh, like, I, I did a game show. I hosted a game show once that was, was kind of a deal or no deal kind of thing where it's like a chicken could play it. It's like, you know, <laughs> pick a number and it'll be the red or green, you know? And, um, and I would, every contestant would have a segment producer sort of assigned to them, you know, that would come out and, and give them a pep talk during commercial breaks. And I remember there was uh, just eavesdropping on one of them once where this woman we got got a little nervous and got a little tight and uh and the segment producer is like what is going on she's like where's that where's that energetic person that i saw you know when we cast you in this thing like really ragging on her <laughs> about like not do- and it's i was just like oh my god they they really like their job is to manipulate people uh, that 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 aspect of television of like m- managing civilians who are going to be on television <laughs> and getting getting desired results out of them that is the grossest end of show business. Andy Richter is blowing it it's out really of the water is. exposing yeah. mistreatment of yeah. game show uh the this whole furor about the current champion and yeah. his sort of very algorithmic view of it yes. I'm not entirely following it but there's actually someone that we all interact with on Twitter named Tom Nichols. Yes. Who I don't know if you know the name, but he's he's like a never Trumper, very Radio smart guy. Radio Free Tom is his name. At Radio Free Tom, is, yeah. he was a five-time Jeopardy champion. Yeah. A while ago, and he's having this hysteric these hysterical conversations online, and I actually caught him on CNN as like an expert talking about it, and he was talking about how important it was when he trained. He would stand like he wanted to get used to being yeah, in a standing yeah. position. Yeah. And Half the battle was knowing the answer. The other half was understanding the button. Yes. It just sounded incredibly angstridden. It's an athletic competition. (laughs) I'm not – I'm being 100% serious. It's an athletic competition with your thumb. With with watching a visual cue of lights, there are these lights that go – you know, like the start of a drag race, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. How the lights go down Mm -hmm. and and there's like a rhythm and then you – And you have to sort of like – it's like the – 
I talked before about dubbing. When you dub over a line for a movie, they, they call it ADR, uh, dialogue replacement. The, the way it works is that they play you into it with three beeps. It goes beep, beep, and, and then on the third beep, you start talking. So you, you get used to that beep, beep, and then you start talking. It's a rhythm. And it's the same thing with Jeopardy. You've got to be able to time out light, 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 push. You know, like, and the, there are people, they just, they didn't push at the right time. And if you, <laughs> if you push too early, you lo you're locked out for half a second or something. So if you push before the, the light, is, you know, is cleared, you're not, you're not going to get the question right. So I just was good at that. And I think maybe it was because also because of you, that having just that used to being following a rhythm and going da, 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 you know. And That's thanks good. for joining us. Sure, today, sure. Andrew. Thank you so this much. This was fun meeting you. Thanks, guys. It was fun uh, talking to you. I really appreciate it. Sure. Yeah, thank you for all right. slapping all